Hello, and welcome to Everybody's National Parks, an audio travel guide aimed to inspire you and your family to visit America's national parks and help you get the most out of your park experience. This is your host, Danielle. This is episode 22.2, the second episode in our series on Isle Royal National Park. In this episode, Brian speaks with park ranger Liz Valencia all about planning a trip to this remote park. If this is your first time tuning in, listen to past episodes, including an interview with Ken Burns, or episodes on parks, including Biscayne, Crater Lake, Everglades, Grand Canyon, Great Smoky Mountains, Olympic, Saguaro, Shenandoah, Yellowstone, Yosemite, Zion, and more. Send us your questions or comments to hello at everybody'snps.com or on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Thank you to all of our listeners and financial supporters via Patreon for sharing in this national park adventure. Now let's get to the conversation. Hi, I'm here with Liz Valencia, the Chief of Interpretation and Cultural Resources at Isle Royal National Park. Liz, welcome on this cold January day. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. And a cold January day is a perfect time to think about summer and Isle Royal. So it's great. We can think uh, prospectively about someone planning their trip this summer to Isle Royal, or we can think, or I'm going to think selfishly, I'm going to think in the past about uh, our trip back in August again. So this is going to be a nice revisiting of our trip. I've been very curious to talk to you because in our family, I'm the planner for these trips by and large, mostly because I, I just like planning. I found Isle Royal, and this was, again, not with my family, but with high school buddies and my brother. This was a particular challenge. It is not the park you can just, on a Friday afternoon, decide, let's get in the car, roll into the visitor center, and it'll all work out from there. It, it does take a little bit of work to figure out what your trip looks like. But if you can figure that out, it's very worthwhile. So just with that backdrop, I'm really excited to talk to you. So thanks again for joining us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And you're right. It is a bit of a challenge. So hopefully people are planning their trips well in advance. They can get everything all lined up. And then when they do get to the visitor center, they hop on the boat, they can get out there, no problems, no delays, ready to go. Well, let's start with a boat. The first question I'll ask you, there are two points of disembarkation to Isle Royal, Grand Portage, Minnesota, or Houghton, Michigan. What do you suggest the easier one to get to? Or is it more of a consequence of how you want your trip to, to unfold? Yeah, it's actually, there are three opportunities for boat transportation. And really, that's generally the first question that people need to answer when they're thinking about a trip to Isle Royal is, are they going to be closer to uh, Michigan point to leave the mainland or will they be closer to Minnesota? So two in Michigan, Houghton, Michigan, as you mentioned, that's where the Ranger 3 operates. That's the Park Service boat. It's the largest ship in the National Park Service. I just got to get that plug in for the Ranger 3. So that leads from Houghton. The other option is in Copper Harbor, Michigan, which is about a 50-mile drive north of Houghton. And that is a ferry called the Isle Royal Queen 4 operates. So we have two opportunities for boats in, on Michigan's mainland and then one in Grand Portage, Minnesota. There uh, is a day trip boat called the Sea Hunter that operates from there. And then the only boat that goes all the way around Isle Royal, the Voyager 2, also leaves from Grand Portage, Minnesota. So that's really the first question we always ask people if they're planning a trip is, will you be closer to Michigan or will you be closer to Minnesota? So we definitely don't recommend one or the other. It really depends on where people are coming from and what works with their schedule the best. Well, with some of those scheduling, is there a boat or, or a port that you would recommend for a day tripper? Or is there a portable boat you would recommend for the weekender? Which side would you recommend if you need to get out on a Monday to kind of head back home after getting there on a Saturday? You bet. There's definitely some things like that that you can take into account. Let's just start with day trips. The two boats do offer day trips to the island. The Isle Royal Queen 4 from Copper Harbor offers a day trip. They leave in the morning and um, they give you enough time on the island that you can actually take a little hike, see some things. So they leave from Copper Harbor at 8 o'clock in the morning, and they get to Isle Royal around 11.30, and they stay on the island until 2.45, head back to the mainland. So the really nice thing about the Isle Royal Queen is in August, they do that trip every single day. 
So for somebody who has maybe just a day, is going to be in the Upper Peninsula sometime in August, you could go to the island any day in August on a day trip in the Isle Royale Queen. So that's really one of the, the big benefits of the Queen schedule, especially in August, is that they do that day trip every day. It's not a real long trip to the island, and, and you do get quite a bit of time on the island and see what it's like. A lot of people like to do that day trip and plan for a future longer trip later. So it's a really nice opportunity to, to just see what Isle Royale is like. The other option for a day trip is from Minnesota, from Grand Portage. And the boat, the Sea Hunter, is the boat that does the, the day trip from Grand Portage. And they have a, a, a more limited schedule early in the season. So early means the month of June, mostly. They go to the island on a day trip three times a week. They go on Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. And then they get to their full summer schedule, usually around the early to middle July, and then they add a few more days. So they do a day trip on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So that's a real nice option. That's a really short trip. It's only about 20 miles across from Grand Portage to Isle Royal. So it's a much shorter boat trip. They have a little bit longer on the island. They leave at 8.30, and that's central time. And they're on the island uh, until two o'clock. So they have a nice, a nice long trip on the island. So those are the two options for day trips. And uh, in July and August, there are a lot of options for day trips. In June and late in August and in September, the ferry schedules do restrict a bit. So not quite as many options for day trips, but definitely, definitely good options for people to take, spend a few hours on Isle Royale and see what it's like. And so we came from Grand Portage just because it was easier for all of us. We were from the East Coast, indifferent to Michigan or Minnesota. It was just easier for us to fly into Minneapolis. So we came from the Grand Portage side, but we found uh, what started out, much to our significant other's chagrin, what started out as a long weekend of just the guys had to extend because we couldn't leave on a Monday from Windigo on the West Coast. We had to wait an extra day or so to make sure we can catch that ferry back. That's the other question about if you're a long weekender and you're camping out a couple of nights, one is easier than the other. Rock Harbor is a little bit more developed. If you want the restaurant and the bar scene and that sort of thing, as well as a lot of the trails around there, a little bit more developed than Windigo. So I, I guess that's something that can play into your planning as well. Yeah, that definitely is something to think about when you're planning. And and you mentioned a weekend trip. And if you truly are looking at visiting Isle Royale on a weekend, I would say really the easiest way to do that is on the Isle Royale Queen because they go every day. All of the other ferries have a break in their schedule at some point. So I'll just give you an idea of what the Voyager 2 does. The Voyager 2 is such a great opportunity because it's the only boat, like I said, that goes all the way around the island. But because it goes all the way around the island, it can't go every day because it would take too long. It goes every other day. So they go to the island on Mondays, Wednesdays and Saturdays. They stay at overnight at Rock Harbor. They go back on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. If you ride on the Voyager 2, you have to be aware of that schedule that, yeah, if you want to go back to the mainland on Monday, you can't do that on the Voyager 2. You get a lot of those questions in the visitor center where people are trying to figure out where they can go and what days. Another opportunity that people have, and we haven't mentioned this yet, is the Isle Royal Seaplane Service. They fly every single day, and they have been, for the last couple of years, they've been offering flights from Grand Marais, Minnesota, and then they also have flights from uh, from Hancock, Michigan. So if, you, if people are really short of time and they have very specific days that they need to travel, so for a weekend, for example, you can do it on the seaplane. You fly out to the island on a Friday, and you can fly back on late on Sunday or on Monday. There you go. There's your weekend trip. Yeah, a buddy of ours had to use the seaplane, so it, it, it's traveling in style. That's how he had to leave because he had to actually make his family vacation. So that's the way to get out, and obviously that was a little bit more expensive, but the easiest option. Yeah, it's a great option. Beautiful too, boy. When you when you find out on the seaplane and you see the island, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's it's just a beautiful, beautiful way to get out there. It has to be amazing, but. I do want to pull on the thread of the Voyager 2 because it's not just a pleasure cruise around the island. It makes ports of call. We used that, again, our first night in Windigo, and then we used the Voyager 2, and we hitched a ride to Macargo Coves. 
we decided to start our real hiking trip and our backcountry trip starting at Macargo Cove, which is, I guess, a little bit more than halfway around the island on the North Shore, and then start our, our backcountry. So is that also part of the planning that you don't just have to start hiking if you arrive in Windigo or you arrive in Rock, Rock Harbor? If you time it out right, you can catch the Voyager 2 and disembark at a, a new place on the island. Right. The Voyager 2 provides that opportunity. And then you can also get picked up at different places as well. And that really adds a nice option for people who maybe don't want to start or end their trip in in Windigo or Rock Harbor. So you mentioned the Voyager 2. When they come out from Minnesota, they stop first at Windigo, and then they uh, have other stops along the way. So they stop at McCargo Cove, as you mentioned. They also stop at Belle Isle. And so those are two really nice uh, options for people could start a trip there, especially for Belle Isle. It's an island. You can start a canoeing or kayaking trip at Belle Isle, and then you don't have to start it at Rock Harbor. So if you're thinking about doing a canoeing or kayaking trip along the North Shore of Isle Royal, getting dropped off at McCargo or Belle Isle is a wonderful option for you. And then they, they go around, and one of the neat things about the Voyager 2, I love the Voyager 2, so I have to say all the neat things about, this, about the boat, is it's a fairly small boat. They go pretty close to shore, and so you get a really nice view of Isle Royale. And they go around into Tobin Harbor. You can see some of the islands, some of the cabins in Tobin Harbor. And they and they stop at these other places like Macargo Cove and Belle Isle. So you get to see a lot when you're riding on the Voyager. Um, so they stay overnight at Rock Harbor, and then they start out in the morning, and then they pick people up on their way back to Windigo. So you could get picked up at Daisy Farm if you wanted to. You could get picked up at Chippewa Harbor. You could get picked up at Malone Bay. Or you could just, you know, hike back and get picked up at Windigo. They'll also drop people off at Daisy Farm, at Chippewa Harbor, and Malone Bay. So some people who come out to the east end of the island, for example, say they come out on the Ranger 3 from Houghton, and they want to start their trip at Chippewa Harbor, they can hop on the Voyager and they can get a drop-off at Chippewa. So once you get to Isle Royale, getting around the island can be fairly difficult if you want to get dropped off. The Voyager 2 is one way to do that. The other option on the east end of the island is to get a water taxi from the Rock Harbor Lodge. And they'll, they go from Malone Bay on the south shore to McCargo Cove on the north shore, and they drop people off at, at docks uh, and all around on the east end of the island. So the contrast between maybe your hiking trip and then having a few hours on the boat, I don't want to soft sell the pleasure cruise of it because it was really nice. We had put in a nine and a half mile hike our first day at, at Windigo at, I'm going to mispronounce it, the Huggin' Cove Loop. Beautiful. Yeah, that was really nice. But it was also nice the next morning to get up and take three hours to have our feet up on the Voyager 2 and really see the island from you know, pretty close into shore. We had binoculars. And that ride was pretty smooth. The ride out was a little nuts, which we'll get to later, but that was a pretty much a smooth ride. Now, but let's pretend that there is no inter-island ferry service and you want to hike. We ran into some folks like this who were hiking the entire spine of the island, either from east to west or west to east. So, of course, this is the Greenstone Ridge Trail. So, if you wanted to do that and you wanted to kind of do the whole island, Greenstone Ridge Trail. Can you describe that trail and about how long it would take one to, to hike that? How many nights in the backcountry? You bet. The Greenstone Ridge. A lot of people, they go to Isle Royal. They're hikers. They say, I want to hike the island. That's a great thing to do. So if you want to hike the island, so to speak, you hike the Greenstone Ridge Trail, which is 40 miles. And it really depends on the, the people in your party, how fast you can hike. But we really recommend that people take a week to do that. And that gives you a little bit of time. Because um, usually you're going to spend four or five nights camping. And then you've got a couple days on either side for transportation. So the Greenstone Ridge, it really doesn't matter if you start at Windigo or you start at Rock Harbor. It's a beautiful hike either way. And there are campgrounds that are fairly evenly spaced along the route. So you're looking at between 10 and 12 miles, a few days, maybe not quite that far, but that the campgrounds are spaced, so it works for people to do a, a long hike like that. The other nice thing about the Greenstone Ridge Trail is there are group campsites on the, on the Greenstone. So for people who are coming to Isle Royale, if they have between one and six people in their party, they're considered an individual party. 
and they can camp anywhere. But groups, because they're larger, between seven and ten people in the party, they have more tents. They need a little more space. So we do have designated group campsites. And we have campgrounds with deep campsites on the Greenstone Ridge Trail. So Boy Scout groups, Girl Scout groups, camp groups, church groups can, can hike the Greenstone too. They can still have that opportunity, but they know they're going to have the larger campsite when they get there. They'll have a place to put their tents up. So for people doing that, they'll do it a couple of different ways. A lot of people will do it using the Voyager 2 because you can get off at Windigo, you can get picked up at Rock Harbor or vice versa. You can ride the Voyager to Rock Harbor and then get picked up at Windigo. People do it coming in on the east end, but they do need to schedule in that uh, return trip in some way. And usually they'll use the Voyager 2 to do that. And people are doing it with the seaplane now too. You can fly into Rock Harbor, you start your trip hike the Greenstone, get picked up at Wendigo, you're done. And the Greenstone Ridge Trail, how long is it? 40 miles, depending on you know where you actually start in Rock Harbor. Mm-hmm. But that's a great rule of thumb to think about a week because uh, to give yourself enough time to, to get in, enjoy it, and get out depending on one's pace. Yeah, and keeping in mind weather, too, that's always such a thing at Isle Royale is Lake Superior dictates every single thing we do. And so you might get held up for a day. You mentioned that your trip out was pretty rough. Well, your trip out could have been delayed by a day because it was too rough to go. So that's one thing that people always need to keep in mind. You might have a reservation. You might be all set to go. But because of the weather, you may get delayed. You may get, your trip might get canceled. You might have to wait a day or two. So that's always something to keep in mind when you're planning a trip to Iowa. It, it is. That happened to us. We're told more rare in the dead of summer when we were there than in the fall. But yes, we had to stay an extra day. The Voyager 2, we ended in Rock Harbor. From Rock Harbor back to Windigo, we were in a pretty gnarly 10 to 14 foot swell. And we had to put into Windigo for the night. And it, it's completely my fault because it's my arrogance. We're all from the east end of Long Island. It was a high school buddy trip. So we're used to the ocean and our arrogance about how bad could a lake be? <laughs> well, we were shown exactly how rough a lake could be. It was a bit of a rock tumbler. We are at the mercy of Mother Nature. And as we learned the hard way, Lake Superior is serious and not a joke. So Liz, would you recommend to think about a cushion depending on what you're, when you're going, but probably anytime, think about a cushion in case you get stuck like we did. Absolutely. We, we recommend that to people is to have uh, even things like if you're backpacking, camping, have extra food, have food for a day. That becomes really important if you're going in the early season, like you know, mid-May to mid-June, or if you're going late season, if you're out there in September, especially if you're there before the store opens and before the, after the store closes, uh, you want to make sure you've got some extra food because if you get stuck for a, an extra day, you want to make sure you have enough to eat. So we do recommend that people think about that, think about the possibility of getting delayed. And, and like you said, it's less common in July and August because the weather tends to be good. But you never know. We have these random trips in August sometimes. And the lake gets really crazy and, and the boats can't go. So that does happen. So it's something that we really encourage people to keep in mind. It's something that anyone traveling on the seaplane really needs to be aware of, too. The seaplanes are are quite small. They're very, very excellent pilots, and they, they watch the weather all the time. And if there's a lot of fog the seaplane cannot fly. So that's something that we um, tell people about when they're planning a trip on the seaplane too, especially if they have a really short time to go. You just want them to be aware that you can make these seaplane reservations in March for some time in June, and the day you show up to go in June, it could be so dense fog that you can't even see across the canal at Houghton. So um, something to be aware of. That, Like I said before, we're, we're definitely at the mercy of, of the weather. Right. And again, all my fault, but we learned the hard way that Lake Superior is is really serious and should be treated with respect. So getting back to hiking, I'm going to divide this in two categories. One is let's go back to the day tripper, both Windigo and Rock Harbor. Do you have some hikes you could recommend that gives them, even if they're there for a few hours, at least a sense of the park, maybe see a few moose and so they feel as though we at least got a taste of Isle Royal and we know what to expect when we go back. And then the second category is, I'd love to hear about your recommended backcountry treks, given all we talked about with the ferry system and 
Greenstone Ridge Trail and how one can get around. I'd love to hear your suggestion and then see if it was uh, close to what we ended up doing. Oh, sure. You bet. Well, let's start at Rock Harbor. Rock Harbor, one thing I want to mention is a lot of people think of Isle Royale as a backpacker's paradise. You're a, you're a hardcore backpacker. You go to Isle Royale, you carry all your stuff on your back, you hike 40 miles. It's great. And it is great. And it, and it is definitely something for backpackers to do. But you don't have to be a backpacker to appreciate Isle Royale. As you mentioned, you could stay in Rock Harbor. You could stay at the Rock Harbor Lodge and you can do day hikes. For example, you wanted to see Isle Royale, stay at the lodge, eat at the restaurant, and do some day hikes. There's some wonderful day hikes right around Rock Harbor that, that can really show you a really great glimpse of Isle Royale. So the first one is the Scoville Point Trail. The Scoville Point Trail starts at Rock Harbor. It goes to the very tip of that peninsula, Rock Harbor, and then comes back. It's a nice round trip. It's uh, 4.2 miles. Part of it is on the lake shoreline, so Lake Superior shoreline. You get to see a lot of the really nice rocky shoreline. And sometimes if it's a little bit rough, you see the waves crashing in. So really beautiful. And then uh, the other part of that is on the Tobin Harbor side. And that's much more sheltered, beautiful, quiet. Uh, and so it can be really different on the same day from one side to the other. So that's a 4.2 mile loop. It's fairly easy. There's even a cut across that cuts it in about half. If people don't want to go the whole 4.2 miles, you can make it about a two mile loop instead. Another really great option of hiking, day hiking at Rock Harbor, is if you go the other way down the main island, and you can hike down to a place called Seahee's Cave. It's an old sea arch from when the water level was higher, and it's an almost four-mile trail. It's about 3.8-mile loop, and it's really nice. The same thing, you can start out along the Rock Harbor shoreline, exposed rocks. You can see the water a lot of cliffs. It's really beautiful. And then on the other side goes back along the Tobin Harbor Trail. Same thing, really quiet. And it's a fairly level trail. So it's a pretty easy hike. A lot of people have seen moose in, in Tobin Harbor on the way back of their trip. I was hiking Tobin Harbor Trail for something last summer, just on one of my days off. And this beautiful bull moose was standing just about you know, knee deep, well, knee deep on him would have been deeper on me, in the water, eating, and we walked by really carefully, gave him some distance, took a couple pictures, and went on our way. So, beautiful. And then there's a longer trip at Rock Harbor, too. So, if you wanted to do a little bit longer trip, you could hike to a viewpoint called Mount Franklin. And that would be about a 10-mile round-trip hike from Rock Harbor. Totally doable in a day. And it's just a beautiful, it's a beautiful point on the Greenstone Ridge. And when you get up there, you're actually looking right over at Canada. And sometimes people are amazed when they're up there on Mount Franklin. They say, what's that over there, that land? Oh, that's Thunder Bay, Canada. So you can see into Canada from, from Mount Franklin. So that, that's a really, really nice option too for a 10-mile round trip, a little bit longer hike. Just that we did coming into Rock Harbor, we did the Tobin Harbor Trail. So that was the end of our trip. So that was the great way, the great punctuation on a great backcountry trip was just kind of stroll in on the Tobin Harbor Trail. So we enjoyed that one. Of course, the the Mount Franklin Trail that you're talking about, you do you end up on the north coast of Isle Royale? Is that where you get to see, see Thunder Bay, Canada? You end up on the Greenstone Ridge. Yeah. Okay. So you're not, you're not actually on the North Shore of Isle Royale. You're on the, a point on the Greenstone Ridge. Yeah. And that's where you're looking at Canada. There's another, another viewpoint that's a little farther down the Greenstone where the Mount Ojibwe Fire Tower is. And that's another place where you can see Canada. So it's really, really clear in the fall. Sometimes you can see the mainland of Michigan, but that's fairly rare, but you can, in the fall, it seems like the weather, a lot of times the, it's more clear. Sometimes you can see buildings in the Thunder Bay Harbor. <laughs> wow. That's, so, that's, yeah. Yep. Another option for seeing Isle Royal, if you're staying at Rock Harbor, is to rent a canoe or a kayak from the Rock Harbor Lodge and paddle in Tobin Harbor. Paddling around in Tobin Harbor is beautiful. You'll see loons. Like I said, you might see some moose. You can rent a canoe and paddle around. It's usually sheltered. It's quite a sheltered harbor, so it's usually very safe in there. And if you have that canoe or a kayak, you can paddle that over to Lookout Louise. 
And Lookout Louise is a beautiful short trail. It, it uh, goes up to another viewpoint and that you can see the North Shore of Isle Royale in Canada. And it's only a two-mile round trip from the Hidden Lake Dock. So you would pedal your canoe from, from Tobin Harbor and you would pedal across to the other side of Tobin Harbor to the Hidden Lake Dock. Hidden Lake is, is pretty neat because it's an inland lake that's really close to the shore and you don't even know it's there until you walk along and you're looking and, oh my goodness, there's a lake. Oftentimes there's moose in there too. So you take this really nice hike, goes up the Greenstone Ridge, you look up to Lookout Louise and back, and then you can paddle back to Rock Harbor. So another great opportunity, a way to, to see Isle Royale if you just want to stay at the Rock Harbor Lodge. That's great. If you're the day tripper heading into Windigo, do you have a couple of couple of recommended hikes that they would take? Yeah, absolutely. So if you're staying at Windigo, definitely the Huggin' and Cove Loop, like you said, is beautiful. It is uh, about nine miles, a little more than nine miles. So it might be hard to do that on a day trip unless you hike really fast. So there's a couple of other shorter hikes that you can do at Windigo if you're there on a day trip that fits perfectly with the time that the boat's there. The first one is the Windigo Nature Trail. And that's a little more than a mile, between a mile and a mile and a half. There's a couple extra little loops you can do. And that just goes through the forest, goes through different environments, goes through a swamp. There's a, a guided, a self-guided brochure you can take along with you. And so that's a really nice loop at Windigo, and it works really well the time period that the boat's there. Another really nice trip at Windigo that you can do if you're there for the day is hike up to the Grace Creek overlook and back. And that's a, a little under four miles. It's about 3.6 mile round trip. And it gives you a chance to get up to the uh, ridge on the Feltman Lake Trail where you can see all around the South Shore of Isle Royale. You see the, the, the lake, Lake Superior. You see the Rock of Ages Lighthouse. And that gives you a really nice chance to get through the forest at Windigo and then up on a really nice rocky peak to look out and get a, a spectacular viewpoint and then back down. So that's another really nice hike for a day trip at Windigo for sure. So backcountry treks. Now I know, Liz, there's infinite possibilities, especially we talked about using the Voyager 2 as a hop or the water taxis, hop on, hop off. So maybe let's just give you some parameters. Maybe give me your favorite and we'll compare notes here. But say you have a long weekend, three nights or so, what would you do? And then the second scenario is you're there for the week. It's your vacation. You're a backcountry person. What would you do with the five nights, six nights in the backcountry? Definitely some opportunities there. So for a shorter backcountry hike, one that works really, really great is the Feltman Ridge Trail. It's a loop trail that you start and end at Windigo. And you can do it in three or four days, and depending on how um, quickly you want to hike. A lot of people will do it in four four days, and that works out fine. And it's a loop trail on the west end of the island. You start at Windigo, you hike up to Feltman Lake. Feltman Lake has a really nice little side trip. You can hike from Feltman Lake down to the shore, which is really a neat hike. You can do that at night. Usually people do that at night. Hike down to Rainbow Cove and then back up. And and then it loops around to Siskiyou Bay, and Siskiyou Bay is is a different look at Isle Royale because of it's one of the places, one of the few places on Isle Royale is actually some sandy beaches. Not something you see every day at Isle Royale. And then it goes back up to the Greenstone, and you stay at Island Line Campground, and then it goes back to Windigo. So that's a really nice shorter backcountry loop, and it's really popular and it's easy to do because you can come and go from Windigo. So that's a great one. And, and that's a 24-mile loop. So, you know, half, basically, of the Greenstone. Right. That's, like a, that. that's a really nice loop, yeah. Another really great opportunity for a shorter trip that people can do is uh, something we haven't talked about yet is a canoe trip. And using the Voyager or, or going on the um, coming in at Rock Harbor on the Ranger 3 or on the Isle Royale Queen, People can do a really neat canoe trip through the middle of the island. Lots of different opportunities, but there's a number of inland lakes with portage trails. And some of the portage trails are pretty short, you know, half a mile. Some of them are a little bit longer, a mile to a mile and a half. 
But you could start a trip like that at Chippewa Harbor. You could start one at Malone Bay. You could start one at McCargo Cove. You could start one at Rock Harbor and paddle down the Rock Harbor campground and port it into Lake Ritchie. So depending on how many days you have, you can go through a lot of those inland lakes in just a couple days with your canoe. So another great opportunity and a lot less use than those canoe canoe routes because a lot more people are hiking, a lot less people are canoeing uh, and portaging their canoes. So that's a really nice backcountry experience. You're talking about favorites. I have to say I'm a paddler. So those are really some of my favorites. Yeah. It didn't even occur to us that we could paddle to some backcountry sites. But as we came into Windigo and I guess it's Beaver Island, we saw the campsite from, from the boat. And we all just looked at each other and said, all right, that's for the next time. Just the idea of being able to kayak or canoe to your back, to an island, uh, off the coast of an island in Lake Superior seems, seems magical. We ended up camping at uh, Lake Ritchie, hiking past Chicken Bone Lake. Something about camping on a lake, on a lake, an inland lake, on an island that's in Lake, a great lake. There was something very appealing about that. And of course, Isle Royals dotted with that. The hike you just mentioned, Feltman Lake hike, that, that loop, it seems like you would be able to get a little bit of everything. You get kind of the, the forest of Isle Royale, the classic forest, Inland Lake, and then you go to Sisquid Harbor. And I didn't know that there was some sandy beaches there. So that seems like very much you're going to check a lot of the boxes for Isle Royale in that 24-mile hike. I, I like that. That may be on the list for next time. Oh, yeah, you do. You really get uh, different views of Isle Royale. I guess the only thing you wouldn't get on that Feltman Lake hike is you don't get the the northern boreal forest shoreline that you see on the east end of the island. So you do get some shoreline, but it's different. So that's really it. But otherwise, you get a really good um, trip, I'll say a trip through the different Isle Royale ecosystems when you take that Feltman Lake I, right. And yeah. we probably should mention at the top, of course, if you're going to be in the backcountry, there's a backcountry permit you would need to secure from someone like yourself as well in the backcountry office. And, and just want to get that out of the way to make sure everyone uh, understands that's something they would need to do. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, if you have from between one and six people in your party, you get that permit when you arrive. The camping's first come, first serve. So it's not something you need to do ahead of time. You get it at the visitor center when you get to the park. Or if you travel on the range or three. We actually issue those on the Ranger 3, so that works out. If you're a group, which for Isle Royale, a group is having between 7 and 10 people in your party, you do need to get a group camping permit in advance. There's not as many campsites uh, for groups as there are regular campsites, so we want to make sure that groups always have a place to stay. So you do need to do the group reservation in advance and make sure that you don't show up at the park unless you have a group camping permit. And that's something that you can call, ask about. You can get those uh, requests in by using the system um, pay.gov. Just make sure that if you have a group that you do get that permit in advance. So Liz, I usually get really nervous about first come, first serve camping. In my mind, I always think I'm going to be the guy that gets shut out. And so we were there high season, August. We had reservations at Windigo. But the backcountry, for us, it was not a problem. As a matter of fact, we were pretty much away from people most of the time we were in the backcountry. Is that a fair characterization, that if you're going to be in the backcountry, you get your permit, you don't necessarily have to worry about overcrowding, or did we just kind of hit it on the right weekend? I think you probably hit it on the right weekend, especially if you were there in late July and early August. We have had some overcrowding issues in, in the backcountry, but it tends to be on uh, some of the campgrounds that are a little bit closer to Rock Harbor and not so much on the West End. We do have some crowding, over, I'll say overcrowding issues at Lane Cove Campground, which is a beautiful hike. It's a one-way trail, so people don't have a lot of options if they hike down to Lane Cove and it's full. So we just ask people to be really nice and share their campsites if they can. So that one tends to get pretty busy. The Rock Harbor campground right in Rock Harbor gets really busy uh, because people are coming and going on the boat. That's one reason we do have a one-night stay limit at Rock Harbor, too, is to try to keep people moving through there. Another campground that can get pretty full is Mosque Basin Campground. That's at the end of the Rock Harbor Trail, a beautiful campground. I understand why people want to stay there. It's at, in Mosque Basin. There are shelters at, at that campground that are right on the shore. 
a beautiful place, but it's not a really big campground and it does get full as well. Some of the other campgrounds that you might think would be really popular and get busy, like Daisy Farm Campground, right on the Rock Harbor Trail. But Daisy Farm Campground is big for Isle Royale. There's 36 sites there. So it, it oftentimes has space. So it just really depends uh, when you're there. But I'm glad that on your trip, you didn't have a problem with finding a space. And a lot of times, as you say, in the back country, there's going to be a lot more space than and uh, what we would call maybe the, the front country areas like Rock Harbor, yeah, Rock Harbor Corridor. Well, that's the tip inherent, right? We One of our last nights was in Three Mile, and which, of course, it's three miles from Rock Harbor. We didn't have a problem getting a site, but it, certainly plenty of people around. But again, the night before, we were in Lake Ritchie, and it was just us um, at that campsite. And I imagine the deeper you are in the backcountry, the more it dissipates. So that's just the lesson. If you're in high season and you want to get away from people, just find that backcountry site or probably kayak to that backcountry site, which is, again, something I want to do for the next time. Yeah, that's a wonderful way to see the island, too, because you do have so much more flexibility with a boat. And and I will mention, too, that a lot of people do come to Isle Royale in their own private boat, in their own private powerboat or their own private sailboat. And then they have all of those outer islands with campgrounds they can camp at. They also have the opportunity of finding a really nice secluded harbor and anchoring their boat. You know, what could be better than that? You're the only one in there in your boat and anchored. So we do have that opportunity as well for people that have their own boat. Something we haven't really talked about yet, but right. it's a great way to see Iowa. We saw some of those sailboats and it seemed like magic, just uh, kind of in their own little special kind of Gilligan's Island all by themselves, other than us passing by. So let's stay, let's stay wet. Let's stay with that theme of boats. Let's talk about the other activity, which we did not have to do, but I found fascinating, but there's diving at Isle Royale, or I should say right off the shore of Isle Royale National Park. Liz, do you want to talk a little bit about the diving opportunities that are at Isle Royale? And what type of dives are they? You bet. Isle Royale is a big obstacle in the middle of the lake if you're a ship. <laughs> and so, unfortunately, some ships have run into the island and sunk. And it, it happens a lot. And if you think back uh, to the times they 100 years ago, they weren't using GPS. They weren't using any of the modern weather forecasting that we have now. You're basically using a compass and you're figuring out where to go. So uh, it didn't always end well with ships. And so around the island, we have what we call 10 major divable shipwrecks. And they have um, everything from you know wooden vessels to steel, we have passenger freighters. We have freighters that were hauling things like wheat and a load of shoes. So there's there's a real mix. And, and Isle Royale to divers has been called like an underwater museum that it represents this technology change from ships, from wooden ships to steel ships. Starting from the late 1800s all the way around to the latest shipwreck that was in the 1940s. So all of that there. And it, it really varies. People who dive on Isle Royale have to know how to do cold weather diving. Lake Superior is never warm. I'm a diver. I was never too warm when I was diving. And so people who are diving at Isle Royale just need to get in the mindset that it's going to be cold and you have to be prepared for cold water diving. But wow, what you can see down there. Lake Superior is so clear and we don't have zebra mussels. So you can see parts of the ships. You can see features on the ships. You can see doorways. You can see windows. There's a, a dive on the North Shore in a shipwreck called the Congdon that the pilot house is there on the bottom. You can actually swim into it and look out the windows. So the, the diving is really uncomparable because of the beautiful crystal clear water in Lake Superior. But it is cold, so people do need to know what they're doing. And it, there's nowhere to fill tanks dive tanks on the island so it does limit the number of people who can dive so either you have to have your uh, your own setup on your boat to either be able to fill your own tanks or haul enough tanks to use or you can be like a lot of people and come with a dive charter we have dive charters that come to the island year after year they know exactly how to do it all they have all the gear you just sign up for a trip and you come with them, live aboard, and they can show you some of those wonderful experiences. So that's really the way that most of the people do dive at Isle Royale. The diving varies, too. You can get on a shipwreck, the America, for example, that's right outside of Windigo, 
That one's only uh, four feet deep at the bow. It goes down to about 100. And then there's some other wrecks that are quite a bit deeper and a little more challenging dive down to 200 feet or so. So it really, it really varies. And just based on people's experience level, they can do a nice shallow dive or a deeper dive. And even for some of the shallower spots, can, you can see quite a bit of the shipwreck just by snorkeling too. So right. that's another option. Yep. The America being one, I, I would imagine at least parts mm-hmm. of it, we, we yeah. actually were able to, coming into Windigo, saw uh, a bit of that wreck. Do you need to be certified prior to arriving at Isle Royal, or do some of these charters offer certification if you're, you're ready to be certified and dive? You would need to be certified before you come out. The, the charter services don't have, uh, really have enough time to do that kind of a trip. So you would need to check with them, but they would need to see that, that you're a the certified diver. And like I said, it's, it's not for a beginning diver because of the cold water. Gotcha. But certainly seems, again, freshwater diving with that visibility just seems amazing because freshwater, it's not corroding the the ship as as it would in saltwater. That's it's gotta be amazing. Again, on the list for the next time. Yeah, definitely. So one thing we we love to do as a family, but even with I was actually really excited to see my high school buddies were really excited. Uh, everyone was excited to do ranger programs when when we could in Windigo and in Rock Harbor. And then back in Windigo when we were stuck for the extra night, the Rangers were nice enough, because we all were there together to put on an impromptu ranger program on wolves. So do you want to talk about some of the programming that you offer? And then where is it offered? Because I don't know if people realize that there are some rangers in the backcountry as well. I'd love to hear about some of the programming during the high season. You bet. We've got some of the most enthusiastic rangers in the park service, that's for sure. And I'm not at all surprised they did a special program for you at Wendigo, because if you get stuck and you're on Isle Royale, everybody's there together, then we want to make sure that you have a good time and that it's a memorable experience. So yeah, our Windigo, our Windigo rangers love to do special programs. But anyway, so we have a full program schedule, usually the months of July and August, and we do programs every single day. So we do evening programs at both Windigo and Rock Harbor. Those are almost every night, depending on the schedule. Sometimes we don't have enough staff to do them every single night, but Generally, every night, if we can, that can't do as usually on a Sunday night. But almost every night, we do evening programs, and the the themes really vary based on what the rangers are interested in. But usually, there's a program about wolves or wildlife. There's oftentimes a program about moons and and waterfowl, and then we have some really interesting cultural resources too. And and the rangers seem to really like to do programs about our cultural resources, so shipwrecks and lighthouses. We have had a commercial fishing operation in Isle for a number of years. So a lot of times there'll be a program that talks about commercial fishing, more about fishing in general. So it really just depends on what the rangers are interested in. But some of the, the broader themes are wilderness, wildlife, cultural resources. We also do programs during the day. So at Wendigo, for example, we do a guided hike. And those are scheduled. So they'll be done at the time that the day trip boat is in. So there's a guided hike with the ranger around the Windigo area. And then we also do two short programs at Windigo. One's usually done on the deck of the visitor center, which is a great place for a program. A short program, you know, about a half an hour. And we like to do a program at the Windigo Pavilion near the dock before the day trip boat leaves. So, for example, if you came out on a day trip to Windigo, you could do a short program, a guided ranger hike, and a short program before you left. So quite a bit to do there. At Rock Harbor, we have a similar schedule. We do a short program every day right in Rock Harbor, and that's done at a time that works when the um, the Isle Royale Queen is there. So we make sure that the day passengers have an opportunity for that. We also do evening programs at Rock Harbor. And another thing we do that at Rock Harbor, which is in conjunction with the Rock Harbor Lodge, is we send a ranger on some of the excursion trips that their excursion boat, the Sandy, does. So if you went, for example, stayed at the Rock Harbor Lodge or was just staying in the Rock Harbor campground and you wanted to go on a guided uh, boat trip hike, you could ride with the ranger on the Sandy around to Lookout Louise. You could hike up to Lookout Louise and back and they do a really nice nature hike with the visitors. So that's an option too at, at Rock Harbor is to do that combination boat ride ranger guided trip. So, and we have some new staff at Rock Harbor this summer. We're going to sample and try out some new programs. 
including a walk, a guided hike around the Rock Harbor area. So something to look forward to Rock Harbor this year. We're breaking news on, on our podcast. Yeah, That's great. You bet. <laughs> we also do programs on the Ranger 3. The one really neat thing about riding on the Ranger 3, it's a bigger ship and it takes longer, but we have Ranger on board. So we do Ranger programs on the Ranger 3 too. What a great introduction to what you're about to see if there's a Ranger on your boat heading into Rock <laughs> You that's, bet. That's really, yeah, that you can't get any better than that. That's great. The other thing I wanted to check with you on is we were surprised. I was surprised. We hiked through Daisy Farm. We didn't stay there. We just actually took a break for lunch. But there's a ranger at Daisy Farm in the high season. And I saw on the bulletin board that that ranger has programming, not every night, but throughout the course of the week, every now and again, there's a program that if you're staying and camping at Daisy Farm, that that ranger will put on. Yeah, we actually do a couple different things at Daisy Farm, or we have over the past few years. So depending on the ranger who's there, sometimes it's an interpretive ranger, sometimes it's an a emergency EMT ranger. So depending on who the ranger is, sometimes the ranger will do a program. A lot of times those programs are either on a Wednesday or a Saturday night. But the other thing that we have at Daisy Farm is just across the harbor from Daisy Farm is the site of the, the summer headquarters for the Michigan Tech Wolf Moose Research Study. And Dr. Ralph Peterson lives there all summer long. And his wife, Candy Peterson, really likes to do programs. And so Candy Peterson wow. will come across the Daisy Farm and do a program about the Wolf uh, Project, the Wolf Moose Project. And she will do those usually on uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays. So it just depends on who the ranger is what the schedule is, but at Daisy Farm, there often is a program, either be by Candy Peterson or the Ranger on uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays. Well, uh, just really tease that out. You know, Dr. Peterson and I assume his wife are, I mean, they are renowned experts on the wolves on Isle Royal. And we assigned, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, the assigned reading for my buddies before we, we went to Isle Royal was uh, Nevada Bar's thriller uh, winter study on the wolves as well, which he's mentioned in the book as well. So, that I didn't know that. That would be an amazing treat to hear from the experts themselves on the wolves if you're at Daisy Farm. Wow, that's great. They welcome visitors at the Wolf Moose Study Headquarters as well. So an easy way to get down there is to ride on the Sandy Excursion Boat from Rock Harbor Lodge, and you take the trip that they offer three times a week that goes to the Edison Fishery and the Rock Harbor Lighthouse. And then it's just a short little about a mile hike down to the Wolf Moose Study Headquarters. And so a lot of times people can do, they can look at the Rock Harbor Lighthouse, tour that. We have a maritime history exhibit inside. They can view the Edison fishery and see what fishing was like. And they can take a little hike down and learn about the Wolf Moose Study. So a lot can be done in that, uh, in that excursion trip on the Sandy from the Rock Harbor Lodge. That's an amazing tip, especially if you're, if you're fascinated by the wolves. On the, we've had a whole separate podcast episode on the wolves on Isle Royal. So that's, that's an amazing tip, Liz. Thanks for that. So w with that, you know, I want to, the last question I had is we've been dancing around this a bit, but one of the suggestions we've always had on this podcast is if you can visit a park in shoulder season, that may sometimes may be the time to go to avoid crowds, but get pretty good weather. But is it fair to say that it's not much of a shoulder season at Isle Royal? And of course you're shut down in the winter completely. We are, yeah. And we don't have a really long shoulder season, but I would consider the beginning of May through about the middle of June as a shoulder season, a, a lot less visitation then. The weather can be a little tricky. It can still be cold. It can be still, there's still be snow on the ground sometimes in May. So it can be cold and rainy, but that uh, is a time period that we do consider the shoulder season and it is definitely less busy. The fall shoulder season has really been diminishing. <laughs> People love to visit parks in the, in September. September used to be a shoulder season for us. September is pretty busy up until the lodge closes and the Rock Harbor Lodge closes um, around the 15th of September, whatever day that Saturday is. So up until then, it's pretty, still pretty summer busy on the island. But after September 15th, after the lodge closes, 
for the next couple weeks in September, I would still consider that uh, a fall shoulder season. And the only tricky thing about the, the shoulder season in the spring and the fall, other than the weather, is that the, the ferry schedules are a bit limited. So you do have to do some planning in advance to make sure that you can get to the island when you want to. And you may end up having to stay a little bit longer just because of the way the ferries work. But definitely worth it if you're thinking of coming to the island when there might be less people around. I would consider late May and early June and the end of September, really, to be still a, a shoulder season experience. How about mosquitoes? We came really prepared, thinking that we would be under siege. But again, we were there mid to late August, and it was actually fine. Is that just the consequence of when we were there, or or, or are mosquitoes not as bad as we, we had thought on the island? Definitely, it was, it was when you were there. Usually, the mosquitoes are gone by the end of July, so if you come in August, it's generally, August is busy because it really is a nice time to be on the island. It's warm, and there are no bugs. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I don't know, that's a big thing, warm and no bugs. If you come in mid to late June and early July to about mid-July, that's really when the bugs are the worst. Mosquitoes and black flies mostly. But it really depends on where you are. If you're near the shoreline, like the Lake Superior shoreline, and you have a bit of a breeze, a lot of times the bugs aren't that bad. They can be worse on the inland lakes, especially if there's no breeze. Another thing, it really depends on if the spring has been wet or dry. We've had some dry springs and we've had very few bugs. And then we've had some wet springs and mosquitoes, mosquitoes like crazy everywhere. So like you said, if you come prepared and you have either head nets or if you use bug spray, totally doable. Uh, you can make it through for sure. Yeah, we, we had all that stuff and we barely needed it when we were there in August, which of course, this is probably obvious to everybody except for me. But by the time you get to the August 15th, 20th part of the calendar up there in Lake Superior. Certainly it felt as though fall was around the corner, which of course we had left the high heat and humidity of New York. So I guess that was part of it as well, that of course the calendar was starting to turn a little bit faster up north than it was down here. And that was just part of the uh, element of our trip as well, which was very lovely. Definitely you do get, uh, it, it starts to feel like fall in the end of August, especially the lake is different. And it does. You, you definitely do feel it. When it's still really warm and really summery on the mainland, a lot of times it does start to feel like fall. I, I would say you even notice it more in the, in the spring, in the shoulder season, because it stays colder so much longer on Lake Superior and on the island. I'll just give you a quick example. I was on the island one time at Rock Harbor. We were having seasonal training. I had to go back to town for, I think it was a graduation I left Isle Royal. I was wearing my winter coat, my hat, my gloves. It was about 48 degrees, 50 degrees when we left. And when we arrived in Copper Harbor, it was in the 80s. Wow. <laughs> so quite the change. And that can be dramatic in the spring like that when it's still really cold on Isle Royal. And on the lake especially, the lake stays cold well into June. So something for people to keep in mind, it might be 80 degrees where you're leaving from on the mainland. It might still only be 50 on Lake Superior. So you're going to be cold on the way out. And <laughs> once you get to the island, it's usually better. But yeah, definitely um, can be real different mainland and, and island temperature. I'll tell you what, though, after a, a 10 mile sweaty hike with a pack on your back, my brother and I enjoyed jumping into Lake Superior at three mile. Just one to say we've jumped into Lake Superior and we've, we've swam in Lake Superior, but it was also very refreshing. It was cold, oh, but after working up a full sweat, it felt great. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Lake Superior has been warm enough to swim. I think it's warm enough, although I've, I've lived at Isle Royale for 20-some years, and so I, I, maybe I'm more used to it. But it does seem like end of July and into August, it is warm enough to swim, and I do see a lot of people swimming. And definitely, if you've come off the trail and you just hike 10 miles and you're sweating, um, you bet it feels warm enough to swim. <laughs> it feels well, great. The amount of time you spent at Isle Royal, I just want to know of a story or a moment where you were on the trail or on your canoe or kayak where it just really hit you, uh, kind of that transcendent moment of the kind of that splendor of Isle Royal and what that moment was like. Do you have a story that you can share with us of your time in Isle Royal? I definitely do. I have a few moments like that that when I think about Isle Royal, 
those are the moments that pop into my head and I say, yeah, that's why I work here. Uh, the one I'll tell you about is on a canoe trip. I mentioned I'm a paddler. I love canoeing. I love the Inland Lakes canoe route. And my husband and I used to do a trip, Memorial Day weekend trip, because that was when we had time. We were on the island. And then after that, we got really busy. He was a wildland firefighter, so he would be gone a lot of the times out west. And so we would do a, a Memorial Day trip. And one year we did the Inland Lakes Canoe Route. And so we did um, the Inland Lakes Route is basically it's Lake Ritchie and you paddle through Intermediate Lake. You go around through, you actually paddle through the end of Siskiyou Bay and Wood Lake and then back through Lake Whittlesey and into Chippewa Harbor. And we, we've done that many times and it's one of my favorite places. But one, one year was a little bit warmer than it sometimes would be in Memorial Day and just beautiful. And we had a really nice paddle. We were taking our time. It was a beautiful night and we were camped at Wood Lake. And I've only camped there a few times and it's really a pretty lake. And the campground uh, is, there's a place in the campground is a, kind of a, a rocky bluff. We had some uh, chairs that a friend of ours had made for us, the kind of chairs that you put your thermorest in and then you can sit on the rocks, but your thermorest is in this little um, thing that looks like a chair. And we were sitting there and the sun was going down. It was beautiful. And it was wonderful. And we were really enjoying sitting there, relaxing after a beautiful day of paddling. We caught some fish that we ate for supper. And we heard a noise like, oh, I wonder what that is. And we looked down and right in front of us in the water, a cow moose came out. And she walked along the edge of the water across from us. And a calf came out behind her. Oh, that's so great. Look, a calf. And then another calf came out behind her. And they just stood there eating. And they didn't seem to care that we were there. And they were eating. And the two calves, and they just took their time. And then they went back into the woods. Cow and the two calves followed her. And we just thought, oh, man, I love Isle This is just the meanest place. So, so I would say that's my, that's one of my, my Isle Royal stories that I always think about. Well, not only was that a lovely story and very iconic to the, to the park, but you also just gave away another really cool backcountry trip. Actually, I was following along on the map to Wood Lake and that, and that, and the portages. So that's another tip. So once again, Liz, thank you very much. That was a, an amazing description of, of Isle Royal National Park and planning tips which just got me all excited to go again. And I think we're going to get a lot of people excited about whether it's a, a day trip, uh, a few nights in the backcountry, or, you know, this is their yearly vacation. They're going to spend a good, you know, 10 days in the backcountry. There are infinite possibilities, but you gave us a great start. So thank you very much for your time. I love talking about Isle Royal, and I'll mention that if anyone has questions, we have people in the visitor center in Houghton, and that's why we're here is to answer trip planning questions. So absolutely, now is the perfect time to be planning a trip to Isle Royal. Call if you have questions. We're here to help you out. One thing one can do is, which we did, is we had a couple of ideas of what we wanted to do, having never been to Isle Royal National Park, and we took those ideas to the rangers at Windigo and said, all right, what do you think? We here, here are our parameters. Here's what we've picked out. What do you think? And the ranger was able to kind of say, well, don't do this, do this. But given what you guys said, do this. And that was amazing. So I guess my last tip is don't be wedded to any plan. Sketch out a plan, especially if you're in the backcountry and you have some flexibility. And then uh, check with the ranger because you don't know about trail conditions or anything along those lines that they can help you out with. And they just know more. They're going to know more than, than I will or anybody else visiting for the first time. So that's another great tip as well. I'm glad you mentioned that, to make sure you check you the rangers and get their opinion. Of course, it's an obvious one, but yeah, it's a great one. And flexibility. Flexibility is huge. I agree with you. Don't be wedded to one specific, you know, I've got to be this night, this night, this night. Have some ideas where you want to go. Have some flexibility. You'll have a wonderful trip. That's it. Well, what a great note to end on. Uh, Liz Valencia, Chief of Interpretation and Cultural Resources at Isle Royal National Park. Can't wait to be back. Thank you very much for uh, your time. It was wonderful talking with you. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. You may find links to resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes on our website, everybodysnationalparks.com. Send us your stories, tips, or comments to hello at everybodysnps.com. You can write us a message or even record a short voice memo on your phone. 
and then attach it to the email. You may be featured on an upcoming episode. Again, the email is hello at everybodysnps.com. Subscribe for free to Everybody's National Parks on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, become a patron. Just click on support our show on our homepage, everybodysnationalparks.com. We also appreciate if you write a review, give us a five-star rating, and tell your friends. This helps more people find us. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We love to hear from you from the parks you are visiting, so please tag us at hashtag everybody's national parks. Most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now.